You know, this summer is a time where maybe for a lot of you, there's some different summertime activities. Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, swimming or going kayaking, uh, maybe camping. I don't know what it is that you like to enjoy, enjoy outdoors. It's an outdoor activity season. Uh, something I picked up this year, kind of a goal of mine, was I re-picked up the game of golf. Any golfers in the room today? All right, got a few more golfers. The first service, there's not many of them. Uh, so I knew this was my favorite service, okay? Don't, don't tell them. But I, I, I picked it up. And I'm not really, I don't know if I can call myself a golfer yet because I'm not that good yet. But I took this online cor- uh, coaching course and I began to make, so I thought I was making some progress. Until, until I was, you know, they, they walk you through these different aspects of the shot from your stance, the way you hold it, to your swing, to the irons, to woods, to all this. Everything was going great until it came time to learn how to drive the ball. Now listen, I can, I can hit the ball really hard. But here's what happens to me. I have what they call a slice. I don't have any slicers are in the room. Meaning I hit the ball, it goes straight really hard, about 50 yards, and then it reroutes and goes to the right. My ball has ended up placed on the driving range it's not supposed to be. Uh, True story, I actually one day, uh, I sliced it so hard it ended up in the property next to the driving range, right? I was like, I don't think it was supposed to go there. But this is the one area where I know I need more help with because I struggle in this. And I thought about that life is a lot like the same way, especially in our spiritual life. Have you found this to be true, that there's certain areas of your life where you feel like I'm growing, I'm progressing, I'm moving forward? Maybe even in your relationship with God, you feel like, you know, you, came to, you come to Christ. And, you know, even when you first come to Christ, I remember this for myself. It felt like there were certain areas spiritually that came easier to me than others. Like there were certain even desires I had, sin in my life prior to Christ, that kind of easily went away when I first came to Christ. But then there were some areas of my life that kind of were harder than others. And here's what I found personally in pastoring in my own life, that I think it's the human condition, is that usually all of us in this room and online, you usually have maybe a few areas and probably at least one area where you have a struggle. Like you tried to get traction in, but you take one step forward, maybe two steps back. Maybe it's an area of sin. Maybe there are certain sins that you're like, man, I've easily walked away from, but there's certain ones. There's a a habitual sin that, man, you try to to, to to have some traction, but you keep going back. Maybe for you it's it's fear. Like you want to live in faith, but you still find yourself frozen in fear. Maybe for you it's anger. And like you wish you didn't lash out in anger, but it seems like sometimes out of nowhere you explode. Uh, maybe for you it's, a, it's, a, it's an addiction. That you, 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 you want to have sobriety, but you find yourself being pulled back. And it almost feels like there's a force that's stronger pulling you back. And I would be remiss if I did not have a supernatural series and talk about the importance and the value as well as the accessibility of supernatural spiritual freedom in Christ Jesus. And here's the reality. All of us in this room have some type of struggle. So let me just free you up. And if you don't think you have a struggle, that means you have a really big struggle. Come on, somebody. Like we all have something. We all have an area. That we know, man, if this area, if that, if that got better, it'd make everything else better. Now I want to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to read out of Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. And let me give you some context. Last week we were reading out of Mark chapter 4 when Jesus calmed the storm. And this is literally right after he arrives onto the shore. So he just, they were in the boat. Jesus calmed the storm. Now they arrive onto the shore in Mark chapter 5, where we're going to read today. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. They, this is Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gesenarines. Or the Gerasenes, rather. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. This is a reminder that everything and everyone, including demons, must bow in the presence of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus, watch this, again and again, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and let us become bacon. I had to throw some humor in there. I'm talking about demons, right? <laughs> to lighten, you know, bring some levity into the moment there. Um, some of you are thinking about bacon right now. Come on, you're like, I know what I'm having for brunch. Uh, <laughs> the herd then about 2,000 in number, sorry. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, you might read this text and think to yourself, Jeremy, this is great, but what's the relevance of a man who's being influenced by demons? What's the relevance to us today in 2023? We don't have demons like legion around us, do we? My question for you is, do we? John chapter 8. I'm going to give you one more passage before we dive into our, our kind of the, the main content of our, our day. He's speaking to his disciples. Jesus says this. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Many of you know that passage. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. They were Hebrew Christians. And they said, we've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say we shall be free? He replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Here's what that means, is that when you become a slave to sin, that you don't experience the full benefits of living in the kingdom of God as a follower of Jesus. But a son belongs to it forever. Then here's one many of you know. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That Jesus says we can actually be in bondage because of sin. And that when we sin, we become enslaved to sin. But Jesus came to set us free. And I want you to, I want you to take this in. Jesus wants to set us free. He wants to set you free so you can live a fulfilled life. Because the enemy, John 10.10, 10, says the thief, that word thief in John 10.10 10, literally means false shepherd. He's a lying shepherd. He says, man, engage in this sin and experience pleasure. But what he's trying to do is get you in bondage so that you don't experience the fullness of what Jesus said when he said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, if you become enslaved to sin, can you still get to heaven? Yes, because that happens through salvation, professing and believing in your heart, faith in Jesus Christ as the son of the Lord. However... You may end up in eternity with God, but you may not experience the best of God here on earth. And he wants both. How many of you know the Christian life is not just you getting a one-way ticket to heaven? Can I get an amen? He wants to bring heaven to earth so you can walk in the fullness of what God has for you on this earth. And one of the ways the enemy prevents that in your life is to get us enslaved to sin so that we can end up, as his intention, to steal, to kill to destroy your life. And freedom is found, this is kind of the sermon in a sentence, through surrender to Christ. It's in Christ. We're going to unpack this passage today. So let's look at point one, three truths of this passage, and uh, then we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do at the very end, helping us find freedom. Is, is I want to submit this truth to you, is that your struggle, whatever it is, my struggle may be spiritual. Maybe spiritual. This man was cutting himself, harming himself. They had tried to bind him. They had tried to lock him up, but nothing would work. They had tried to solve a spiritual problem with natural solutions. 
we have a propensity when it comes to our problems, even our sin, to over-naturalize it and under-spiritualize it. And, and, and here in this moment, here's also, and we'll talk about this, evidence that it's a spiritual issue. is when natural issues are falling short. So a lot of times what will happen is this. Let's just say someone has a problem with alcohol. They drink more than they wish they would. And they'll think, yeah, yeah, I know. I need to get that out. I need to get my drinking under control. May I submit to you, maybe you can't by yourself. Or I, I need to, I, you know what, I, I need to get over this fear. But maybe you cannot without the power of the Holy Spirit. Or I, I, need, to, I need to just get my anger under control. I, I know I need to see a counselor. See a counselor. But maybe you need the help of the Holy Spirit to find true peace. And I said this last week, it's never an either or. So I'm not saying, man, just believe God for help and don't see a counselor. You probably need to see a counselor. Come on, somebody. It's the counselor and the Holy Spirit. It's medication and the great physician that you, you seek both. But I, I think we have a propensity in our Western culture to lean more towards the natural at the expense of the supernatural element of our world. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. He's not saying don't be drunk. He's saying, like, wake up. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why is that relevant to that culture? Because at that time, Peter is writing to a group of people who are facing persecution in Rome. And here's what persecution looked like. If they found out that you professed Jesus Christ as Lord, you were fed to lions. And he said in the same way that natural lion is, is, is they're being fed to natural lions, in the same way you have a supernatural lion, his name is Satan. He's prowling around. He wants to devour you. So he says, resist, stand firm in the faith. Now, I know talking in this room today, there is a spectrum of people when it comes to your perspective of demons in the kingdom of darkness. There are some of you that when you heard this topic, you were like, it's about time. Give me the good stuff. Pastor. <laughs> Come on. Somebody, it's okay. Hey. And some people, you know, they believe there's a demon behind every problem. Like on the way home, you run out of gas. You're like, I got an Exxon demon in my car. In the name of Jesus, get out. It's like, no, yesterday your gas light came on, but you ignored it. But then there are some of you that you act like demons don't exist. And can I help you? You can act like they don't exist all you want, but they do. They do. They may not be behind every problem, but they exist. In fact, we see in the scriptures that they do exist. In fact, if you're one of the ones, have a, maybe you have a hard time with believing that or have a maybe. In fact, they found Barna, who's a Christian researcher, this, this company. They found that 59% of Christians, this is back in 2009, it's a little bit dated, but they believe that the devil was a symbol of evil, not real. And I'm going to tell you scripturally, he's real. Demons are real. But Jesus is far more powerful. So we don't have to fear them. I don't have to be like, oh, man, pastor, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. You don't have to have any nightmares at all. Because demons must flee. We just were singing a song, darkness trembles in the presence of Jesus. In the scriptures, the word devil appears 59 times. The word demon appears 82 times. In the gospels alone, 61 times. Watch this. One-fourth of all the healings in Mark were actually demonic deliverances. The root of the sickness wasn't physical, it was spiritual. He rebuked a demon and their body was healed. So we see, like, things are far more spiritual than we may actually realize and even acknowledge sometimes in our life. But they exist. And here's what we see. I love C.S. Lewis said it beautifully. Is that he says, Satan hails the skeptic, and the superstitious alike. The one who's like, there's a devil everywhere. And the one who's like, there are demons nowhere. He loves both. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I heard Pastor Chris Hodge, as a pastor, say this. He said, there may not be a demon under every rock, but maybe under every other rock. 
Meaning, not every problem is spiritual. You may just need to see a counselor. You may need to just get some gas in your car. But there are some issues that are spiritual. And we would be negligent to our souls to not address it in its proper context. When I got married to Christina, she is a Floridian, a proud Floridian. Any Floridians in the room? None. All right. She's not here either, so there you go. Maybe this is the anti-Florida service. I don't know. There were a lot in first service. But one thing I learned growing up in Florida, I did not. I grew up in Maryland, is that you are very aware that alligators live in water. So we, got, we met each other and got married in Virginia Beach, Virginia. There were lots of water around Virginia Beach, Norfolk, all that area. So we would be driving. She was like new to Virginia. So she'd see like a, a river, a lake, anywhere that's water because water's everywhere. And her mind automatically thinks there could be a gator in there. I'm like, Christina, there are no alligators in Virginia or D.C. or Maryland. So then I went to Florida I thought, like, man, she, she's a little bit accessible in this. But then I went to Florida. And I remember this one time, we were visiting her mom. And, and there was literally, it was like a puddle on the side of the road. <laughs> and she's like, there's a gator in there. I said, there is no way there's an alligator in there. Her mom's like, yeah, there is. I'm like, you know, Florida, it rains. You can have a gator in your yard. It's crazy. They're everywhere. Alligators are in some waters in this country. Not in every water in this country. Some of your problems are demonic. Not every one of your problems is demonic. Are you following me, church? So, how, so maybe you think, Pastor, well, how does this happen? Do they just like all of a sudden show up and, you know, begin to influence my life? And let me give you some context from Scripture Ephesians 4, 26, 27. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Watch this. And do not give the devil a foothold. That word literally means to make room. He says, when you sin, you make room for the devil to influence your life. You know, we're coming on summertime. It's vacation time. And one of my roles when we go on vacation is I walk through the house. I make sure every window is shut and locked because I have young children who will randomly open windows. And I make sure every door is locked. Many of you hopefully do this. I set the alarm. And then we tell our neighbors, hey, we're going to be gone for like five days, seven days. So if you see someone in my house, it ain't me. Call the police. Come on. Because I don't want anybody to come in. When you leave your house, you probably don't unlock the door and raise the windows and then put a large sign that says, intruders welcome. Paul says this, when we sin, when we willfully sin, when, when we willfully engage in sexual sin, we invite the enemy to influence our sexuality. When we, when we willfully do not forgive we invite the enemy to influence our soul. When we willfully allow greed to grab our hearts and we don't live generous, we allow the enemy influence our finances. So why do we feel like there's a force maybe more powerful influencing? Because there might be. If we engage in willful sin, we open the door. This is Paul's words. And say, come have your way in this area of my life. Now there's good news coming. But I want to set the context of how this happens in our life. And, and, and be mindful and careful, I would say this, of, of the things in your life where you might leave an open door. There are some things, even Paul said this, that we can do that are not inherently sinful, but they're also not helpful. Like there are some things your eyes can see. There are some movies you can watch. It might not be a sin to watch that, but you might be cracking the door open for sin. There are some places, some people that you can spend time with. They may not be inherently sinful, but you could be opening the door for the enemy to come in and influence your life. So how do I know, Pastor, if, if, if this struggle I have is spiritual or purely natural? 
Well, let's, let's look at Scripture. And in this passage of Mark 5, this man was bound with chains, you know, feet, arms, and they couldn't hold him. So they put him out in the outskirts of the city in the tombs. No one went to the tombs because tombs were deemed ceremonially unclean. So no one would go near tombs. It was believed culturally that actually evil spirits lived amongst the tombs. So they push him to the outskirts. They try in their best efforts to contain him, and yet they could not contain him. Their natural efforts fell short. I love how the Apostle Paul says it. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches. In fact, we may say this. If you are a person who is a, of Gentile descent, meaning you're not a Jewish individual, then you can thank Paul for being a Christian because he brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And here's Paul, like pretty important guy. I love this. Romans 7.15. He says, I do not understand myself. Anybody ever relate? Come on, somebody. He's like, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can anyone relate to that? Do you ever do things that you wish you didn't do? Like you did it and you're like, why did I do that? Why did I lash out in anger at that person at work? Man, why, why did I engage in that sexual sin when I really don't want to do that? Why am I still so bitter when I really want to live in forgiveness? Instead, I do what I hate because it could be spiritual. When the struggle... Watch this. When you are unsuccessful in overcoming a struggle, it may be spiritual. Robert Morris, a pastor, wrote a book called Truly Free. Fantastic book. I highly recommend it. It's a deep dive on this issue. He says, if we have a specific difficulty in our lives, if we have a continued weakness, if we have an area of sin we can't get control over, then we may very well be under spiritual attack. Here's my question for you to process. What's that area for you? What's that area that you're like, man, I'm, I've been trying to get traction, but I can't get the traction I, I want to. And let me just say this. You don't ever have to feel any shame for having a struggle. You don't ever have to feel any shame for struggling with sin. If you feel shame, it is not from Jesus Christ. It's from the pit of hell. Here's why. Here's why. Here's how the enemy works. He wants you to feel so much shame to where we end up believing a lie. I can't tell anybody else about this. They'll reject me. And he keeps us bound up. But here's the good news. So your struggle might be spiritual. Here's the good news. is that freedom is possible. This man, this this. this Legion sees Jesus. I love this. And he bows on his knees. And he says, Son of God, don't torture me. I love the fact scripture reminds us even demons bow in the name of Jesus. Addiction must bow to the name of Jesus. Fear must bow to the name of Jesus. All sin has lost its power because of Jesus. Reminds you of Luke chapter 10. Jesus sent his disciples out to do ministry. They came back fired up because they saw healings. They saw demons bow to the name of Jesus. They were all fired up, like high-fiving each other. They get back and they say to Jesus in verse 17, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Just a side note, maybe you've wondered this. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? It's not a religious saying that when we pray for things, we're not saying, God, I am asking for this on behalf of my effort. I don't pray in my parents' name. I don't pray in my pastor's name. I pray, when I evoke the name of Jesus, I'm calling on the authority of King Jesus. So I say, I'm praying for this on the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So by invoking his name, I'm invoking his power. Make sense? We don't have the power in and of ourselves. He has the power. So while I love this, though, they're like, man, man, demons are submitting. 
I love Jesus. He's like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's referring to when Satan rebelled against God the Father and God cast him out of heaven. He's a fallen angel. He said, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. He doesn't mean physically, okay? So don't try to handle a snake, okay, somebody? That's a symbol for the demonic. To overcome, watch this, some of the power of the enemy. All of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. In our Western culture and in movies, have you noticed this? You know, most movies that have some sort of battle, they, they showcase the battle between good and evil as like going back and forth. It's like Batman and Joker. Luke and Darth Vader. Thanos and the Avengers, right? It's like, who's going to win? Real good and evil, there is no back and forth. He's like, yeah, I remember Satan. I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Have you ever noticed how fast lightning is? Gone. There is no battle. The devil has no power. He couldn't even throw a punch. He says he fell like lightning from heaven. So you don't have to be like, oh, man, it's a big deal. It's not a big deal, Jesus said, because all authority has been given to me, which I now give to you, and that same power must fall like lightning in my name. So we don't have to fear the demonic because they have no real power. It's been removed by Jesus. It's intriguing in this passage, and it gives us insight into the tactics of the enemy. Because when Jesus asks him his name, he says, I'm legion. And it reminds me that so often, here's the enemy's tactic in our lives. is He wants us to identify with our struggle. Or identify with our sin. Or identify with our dysfunction. Because the only power the enemy can have over your life is that which you give him through agreement. And because we have fear, here's how it happens. Because we've had fear for so long, we believe that I'm just a fearful person. You may struggle with fear, but you are a beloved child of God by your identity. Or you believe I am an addict. You may have an addiction. That's very real. But you are not defined by that addiction. You are not defined by your anger. You are not defined by your pride and your judgment and your critical nature. You are defined as a beloved child of God. Here's how he will, here's how, here's how the enemy will deconstruct your identity and bring destruction to your life. Five thoughts real quick. He'll get you first to identify with your struggle. So I am an addict. I am angry. I am bad at relationships. Sometimes we'll even get an entire family to believe this. Have you ever heard family say this? Oh, you know the Johnsons? They're just bad at relationships. Oh, you know the Thompsons? They're kind of angry. They'll even subscribe some to races or cultures. Have you seen this? Oh, this type of person, they're like this. Can I help you out? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Families. People groups are not defined by any dysfunction in the name of Jesus Christ. So we identify with it, and then you start feeling increasingly hopeless. Well, if, if, you know, if I'm an addict and I've had this issue for 12 years, it's not going to get any better. Man I've, man, I've been trying to get free of this sexual sin, but I keep going back to it. Maybe, maybe this, is just, this is just my lot in life. You know... I, I want to be a non-judgmental, gracious person, but I keep finding myself being overly critical. Maybe I'm just a critical person. And he gets you identified, then you feel hopeless, and then watch this, then you become defensive. Because it hurts if someone tries to help you where you feel hopeless. Hey, have you thought about seeing someone about that drinking? Hey, nope, nope, I'm good. I'm good. I got it under control. Hey, have you thought about talking to someone about that anger? No, I'm good. You know what? 
I'm, I'm working on it. Become defensive. Because it hurts when someone tries to help where I feel it's a hopeless cause. And then the enemy leads us to become enslaved to sin. I'm just always going to have this. So watch this. Instead of believe, me believing for freedom from sin, I'm going to live a life of sin management. And you trying to tame your fear is like me trying to tame a lion. You trying to manage that sexual sin is you're trying to cage a ferocious animal with no lock. It doesn't work. The Christian life is not called to be a life of sin management. <laughs> of not, let me just try to manage this area of my life and not make sure it never pops out or creeps out or no one ever knows about it. And I'll come to church, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> but what you don't realize, people can smell the alcohol on your breath the night before. Well, maybe some people can even sense is the shame you feel over the sexual sin you engage with the night before. What someone can sense is that critical spirit because you've been dealing with it for 12 years, because you now identify with it, they can sense it on you. Because eventually, again, it's going to come to the surface and reap destruction. That's, and then what happens, the last part, is you lose your life. And we've seen this on multiple, we've seen this observably, haven't we? Like you've seen someone who greed, it started off with maybe they didn't trust God in their finances. And then that greed led them to a financial impropriety which ended up with criminal charges. Or led them into a life of suffocating consumer debt. Or we see someone with a sexual sin that all of a sudden they get picked up because they solicited a prostitute. Or someone with an alcohol problem that all of a sudden brings destruction in their marriage. I'm not trying to paint a horrible picture. I'm just trying to show you what the enemy's end game is. It might seem small right now, but he's like, I'm just going to keep watering the seed and watering the seed and watering the seed until you have this oak tree of an issue. So you become, you begin to lose your sense of peace because of your fear. That's what it starts with. You lose your joy because of that addiction. You lose your sense of purpose because of your hopelessness. But the good news is this, is we have power in the name of Jesus. I told you to get into a good part, but I need us to feel the weight of it. Because that your issue may not be purely natural. And I want you to experience freedom, and I believe you can, in the name of Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus frees this man. He just says, he uses his words, come out in the name of Jesus. Now, if I was Jesus, can I just go there for a moment? And, and I was like, how am I going to deliver demons? I would do a power bomb. You know what I'm talking WWE wrestling, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, come on, let's go to Legion. Boom, out. That's just me. I'd clothesline them, maybe. Show my power a little bit. But Jesus uses his words. He's not demonstrative. Maybe you've had experience in church where they've talked about demonic deliverance, but it was demonstrative. They were like, come out in the name of Jesus, yelling and shaking the person. If Jesus did not do it, why do we think we need to? That's not Jesus. He just says, come out of him. Calmly, uses his words. Come out in the name of Jesus. Our power is in the words of God. Here's Paul, 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we live in this world, we don't wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So Paul says there is a war and the battlefield is your mind. The word stronghold in the Greek, it means a prisoner locked in by deception. And how the enemy oftentimes can begin to deceive us 
is often through the hardships and even traumas in our life. And he sells us a lie. So I'm going to share one for me. That it, years of work on this. When I was younger, my dad died when I was 16 years old. And I also experienced rejection in relationships that was very painful as a young man. And in that moment of vulnerability, of pain, of grief, of rejection, I bought into this lie that my value in life is based upon what I do. It's based upon my performance. And I don't know if you've learned this in our Western culture. They will affirm that your value is in what you do. So in college, I, I, th- I, was, I was driven by a lie. It's biblical to work hard. It's destructive to be driven. It's driven by this lie. And I, I got into all these honor societies. And you know what I learned? When you get into honor societies, nobody says to you, Jeremy, I'm concerned about you. Because in our Western culture, there are more addictions that are acceptable than others. Performance addiction is accepted. Alcohol, not so much. So then in, I, got, I got into one of the best grad programs for my, my, um, my industry in psychology initially. Again, no one was like, Jeremy, I'm very concerned. <laughs> I then did exceptionally well early in my career. But here's what it was doing. Listen, behind the scenes. It put a strain on my young marriage. I was not as present of a father as I should have been to my daughter Hannah in her first year. It put a strain on my physical health. Why? Because the thief wanted to steal, kill, and destroy my life. And here's why I believed, oh, it's just a season. If you think it's just a season, ask those closest to you. Has this been just a season? It was my life. I was hashtag no days off. Because I believed if I took a day off, my value would drop. And some of you right now, can I just speak lovingly but honestly? That is where you are right now. As you feel like that somehow my performance in life, and sometimes churches cultivate this because it's kind of religious. It's like if you just cross certain T's and dot certain I's and do the right thing and say, I'm blessed and highly favored, praise the Lord. You say the right thing, you know what to do, and you're more accepted. That's not God. Can I get an amen? Accepts us as we are. But it led to destruction. And it wasn't until a mentor walked me through a process. So I'm going to give you these steps that helped me to find freedom. It was one part of it. Is I had to identify the lie. And my lie was that my value was based in what I do. I then had to ask God for the truth. So my prayer was scripture. God, what's the truth? And the truth that, that, that for me and for all of us is that my value is as a beloved child of God. And I began to take scriptures like Jeremiah 31.3, that God loves me with an everlasting love. Or Romans 5.8, that when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And I began to take these scriptures about God's love for me. And as a child of God, and my, my, my mentor told me this, for 30 days, read these out loud to yourself. After 30 days, ask yourself, is this, do I believe this now? If you don't believe it yet, do another 30 days. And that began to transform my life. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Is this week? Maybe you already know the lie that you're believing. Maybe, you know, for you it's like I'm, 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 I'm always going to have this struggle. I'm always going to be alone. I'll always feel fear. I'll always have this addiction. We believe these lies. And the lies often feel true based upon our past. But can you just receive this this morning? Your past does not define you. Your identity in Christ does. The word says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Meaning it has nothing to do with what you've done or what you will ever do. You are not defined by your mistakes. And some of you better thank God for that. Come on, somebody. Let me give you some common lies and common truths. Number one, a lie, is I will never be free. But the truth is who the sun sets free. 
is free indeed. Here's another lie. I'll always be alone. The truth is that God sets the lonely in family. Here's another lie. I will always be fearful. The perfect love casts out all fear, 1 John 4, 18. Here's another lie. I'm not loved by God. But the Bible tells us he loves us with an everlasting love. Here's the last one. I cannot be forgiven. Jeremy, I've messed up too much. Here's the truth. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Here's the third and final point. So freedom is possible, but freedom's not free. It's not free. Verse 14. Those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw this man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were scared to death. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs as well. They said, we've lost our bacon. What? The people began to plead with Jesus, watch this, to not leave, to leave the region. Like they just saw a man, demon-possessed, get set free, and they said, please leave. Catch this. 2,000 pigs were lost by farmers. It cost them a lot of money. They said, Jesus, the cost of your freedom is too high. Get out of here. Can I help you out? Your freedom was bought for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you also have a price to pay. It's called your pride. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself. That's your cost. As you say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. So you do have a price to pay. Freedom isn't just free. You have a part that you have to do. And it's a process. Galatians 5, 1, Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. What was happening in the Galatian church was they were going back into their sinful life. And Paul says, man, stand firm. Don't go back. You'll get re-enslaved. And let me say this. Freedom, spiritual freedom is not a moment. It's a process. Meaning you don't just have freedom once and say, man, I, I, I have no I have no more issues. I'm just going to go live my life now. No, it's a process most of the time. There are occasional times, I know of this, where people are like, man, all of a sudden that desire just completely went away or that issue completely gone. But more often than not, it's a process. And here's my, here's my challenge to you is don't get too comfortable. Because just because you don't feel less dependent on Christ does not mean you are less dependent on Christ. You still need him. Now, I can spend the next 40 minutes, but I don't have it, to outline all of the process you can go through. There are many things you could do. But can I give you one thing? If you do nothing else, do this. To walk out a life of freedom. And if you've been on Catalyst for years, you know this scripture, James 5.16. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That word healed refers to freedom for your soul. Here's how we say here at Catalyst, you need someone to take the mask off with, to be honest with, and say, I've struggled with fear for 12 years, to say, I've had an issue with anger now for the past seven years, I've had this secret sin that nobody else knows about. I can tell you so many times I've sat across the table with a man who's told me at 40, at 50, at 60 years old, I have never told anyone this before. And here's what I know on the other side of it, that we're about to punch the kingdom of darkness in the face. Because when it gets out in the open, when you bring darkness into light, we say, devil, your reign of terror is over. Darkness, your hold on this person, loose in the name of Jesus. Because when you bring what's in the darkness to light, darkness has to go. We're planning right now as a family for um, a Disney World trip. Pray for us. 
Disney is a land of happiness except for parents. It's the land of debt. <laughs> no, uh, so we're planning a trip. for. We, we've taken up my two oldest. My youngest hasn't gone yet, so we, we want to make sure she gets that experience. But a few years ago, we took my, my two oldest, and my, um, my daughter Hannah was four years old. At the time, she was really into Doc McStuffins. I don't know if you know this cartoon. It's like she's a doctor. I was like, girl, you can love Doc McStuffins all you want. I'm like, I love that positive role model in cartoons. Um, so we, we're waiting in line to see Doc McStuffins because she was still young enough to believe, like, that's really Doc McStuffins. Like. So every 15 minutes, the Disney staff member would say, Doc McStuffins needs to go take care of Lammy. She'll be back in 15 minutes. So we're sitting there in the central Florida heat. It's like 99 degrees sweating profusely, uncomfortable. And every, like, 15 minutes, Doc McStuffins needs to go see Lammy. She'll come back. So I go up to one of the staff members who are, like, managing the line. I go up to her, and I'm like, Kara, I'm a grown man. You're a grown woman. Where's Doc going? I am brutally hot. I love my daughter, but I'm wearing thin, Kara. And if you know Disney, they don't break character. Like, she's, a, she's in a red polo. She's like, Doc McStuffins to take care of Lammy. <laughs> no, Kara, for real. For real. I'm 36 years old, Kara. Tell me the truth. She wouldn't break character. I want to be like, Kara, Lammy's dead. I just saw on Twitter. <laughs> so, Doc, come on, Doc, get out of here. I found out what happens is in the central Florida heat, those costumes they wear are excruciatingly hot. So every 15 minutes, they go to this underground tunnel that's air-conditioned, and they take off their mask to breathe. And here's the reality for all of us. Listen, some of you in this room, you have been struggling with something in silence. And you need someone to take off the mask so your soul can breathe. You need someone you can be honest with. This is why as a church we focus on community groups. The primary reason. There are many other benefits. You'll grow spiritually. You'll have some fun. You'll make new friends. But the primary goal is you can build a relationship. You don't need 17 of these. You just need one relationship. If you have a few, even better. That you can go... And when you sit down for that coffee, when you have that phone call, you can tell them something that you've been embarrassed to tell anyone for years. And even though the enemy will whisper in your ear, don't tell them. They'll reject you. The opposite is the truth. Here at Catalyst Church, on the other side of that, you will have someone who loves you, who will pray for you, who will encourage you who will come alongside you. Because listen, I know it sounds in our modern Western culture even cute to say just me and Jesus. But Jesus in heaven right now is saying, you need friends too. You need friends who love me too. Because that's the way I I designed it. Like love me, but you need somebody else to also talk to. You go to Jesus for forgiveness, but you go to somebody else for freedom. That's the way he designed it for all of us. I close on Mark 5, 18. And the band can come. Jesus was getting in the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed said, Jesus, please let me go with you. He didn't let him. He said, go home. I need my introvert time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Watch this. And all the people were amazed. You know what I love here? Jesus, he didn't let this man come with him. He said, now that you've found freedom, I want you to tell other people about this so they can find freedom. Because your freedom, Revelation says this, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And let me say this, 
this man had just gotten freshly free. Like he wasn't like free for a long time. And can I speak to a Christian culture thing that I would love to see changed? If you've been around church for a while, you know this. Is that sometimes we have a propensity to only share the testimonies that are like 10 years removed. We're like, yep, 13 years ago, I struggled with alcohol too, but God set me free. You're like, yeah, but what about last month? Or, you know, 17 years ago, I had an issue with fear too. But thank you, God, he set me free. It's like, that's great and all, but I struggled with fear last night. So you're kind of irrelevant to me now. And here's the reality. God may have set you free from fear 17 years ago, but there's something you're still struggling with right now. And here's what I want to encourage us to do is let's not wait for perfection to share our story. Let's share our progress. Hey, I'm not as sober as I want to be, but I haven't had a drink in four days. Hey, fear still has a little bit of a grip on me, but twice this week I faced fear and I overcame it. Hey, you know what? I still occasionally will lose it in anger, but you know what? Twice this week, that annoying coworker who I can't stand sometimes, they went off and I wanted to blow up, but I didn't. What if we began to share our progress instead of waiting for perfection? What if we became more honest about where we are and where God is taking us? Because freedom is a process, not a moment. And sometimes we can get easily discouraged because we're waiting for the moment that everything goes away. But what if we begin to celebrate the progress? And we begin to cheer on each other for the progress. Man, you haven't had a drink in four months. Come on, praise God. Man, you haven't had an issue with fear this week. Praise God. Man, you felt like you wanted to get angry and lashed out, but you didn't. Praise God. Man, you thought a judgmental thought, but then you caught it. You took it captive, and you replaced it with the truth. Praise God. And we began to cheer on progress instead of waiting for perfection. Jesus wants to set us free, church. And freedom is found through a surrender to Christ. Bow your heads with me, church.